Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths and into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you in your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Have you ever heard of the story of the frog in the boiling water? Now, the story goes this way. So um, one day, a frog found itself in a pot of water, and uh, it said, oh, what a lovely swimming pool. I'm loving it here. So it stays in there. And then, unknown to the frog, this pot is actually on, um, um, on, on the fire. So the temperature was being increased gradually, and the frog is like, um, oh, wow. This is getting better, okay. Oh, now it's a jacuzzi. Oh, this, this, this is great. The frog keeps enjoying the rising temperature of the water. It's getting okay. But um, it gets to the point where the frog realizes, no, I can't take it anymore. But before it jumps out, it's, it's almost at the point of boiling, and the frog boils to death. Um, now, this story is scientifically inaccurate. But, um, what we have to know here is it's usually told to teach people that danger sometimes comes subtly. Dangerous situations don't come with big danger signs written in capital letters and in red ink, no. Dangerous situations um, are sometimes very, very difficult to detect. And if you don't spot them early to avoid them, they can lead to unfavorable consequences. That's the moral of the story. Now, in today's passage, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 and, and 2, we see how Jonah's dangerous escape from the Lord escalates to the point of his death. He gets to that point where his life actually flashes before him and he knows, oh, this is the end. That's the point he gets to. But how did he get to this point? Now, let, let me take you back a bit to last week. So as most of you would know, we've started, we are looking at the book of Jonah for four weeks, and this is the second week, so we're on chapter two. And last week we looked at um, how Jonah got to this position. So God tells Jonah, you know what? Go to this powerful enemy nation and tell them to repent so I can forgive them. But Jonah was not having that because it's an enemy nation and he wouldn't do it, you know? So he starts going in the totally opposite direction. 
not wanting his enemies to repent and to be forgiven, he fled. Now, while fleeing, his folly was exposed. He had made very stupid decisions, left the comfort of his home, disobeyed God, and he just didn't know. I, I bet he didn't know where he was going to. Even the unbelieving crew he was traveling with, okay, on the boat he took, they turned to God when they realized they were in danger. But the prophet decided to, he chose death. He wanted, he, he would prefer death over going to the enemy nation. Well, Jonah ignored all the danger signs and chose rather to be thrown into the water. So he was. You know. Now today what we are going to see is we are going to look at the situation he got himself into when he got thrown overboard and how it escalated. The passage is such that in the first chapter, in, in the first verse, we see Jonah praying, and then later on we see him praying. So he's praying about a prayer he made. You know, so it's more like a reflection. So the first prayer is about, um, Lord, um, I was in trouble and I prayed. Then the second prayer is about what he actually prayed when he was in trouble. So the first prayer is more like a reflection, looking back at the perilous uh, sort of events he had. And then the second prayer was a prayer of repentance. He, 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 that was actually the first prayer. So he was repenting, he was sorry, and he was turning to God. That's how the whole chapter is. And then eventually we see God saving him. So you're going to move with that sort of theme, that chronological order. First of all, we'll be looking at Jonah's peril, because that's his first prayer. He starts talking about how his life was in danger. And then he then prays genuinely for God to help. So then we'll look at Jonah's prayer, and then eventually we'll look at how God provided miraculously for him to be, to be saved. Okay, so let's start with the first one, Jonah's peril. As I mentioned last week, so let's continue from where I left off with last week's story. Jonah fled from his country, and he was actually fleeing from God. He wanted to he disobeyed God and he was just, he's, he's had enough, he didn't want to do it. So he boarded the ship and he was heading elsewhere. Now, a storm rages and the crew members are scared, desperately doing everything they could to survive. But guess what our prophet was doing? He was sound asleep, asleep in the deck. Now, I'm not going to go over that sermon because it's already been preached. But then the crew members find Jonah find that Jonah is actually the source of their troubles. And they're hesitant to throw him out. But eventually they had to, cause, you know, of course, they've got to survive, they've got to live. So they do so. Now, this is where our story picks up from today, where Jonah's trouble starts. So for one, he's thrown out of the water and he lands in the water. Look at verse three, he says, you, referring to God, held me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. So at this point, Jonah realizes that it's actually God who was orchestrating all these things. God who was making all these things happen. God held him into the sea. But isn't that interesting that he was using the sea to run away from the Lord. But that same sea is what God held him into. It's like giving him what he wants. And then he gets into the sea. Now how silly will that be for Jonah? Being a prophet, I thought... Jonah would have known better. I mean, I mean, reading the story, I'm a bit disappointed in him because actually in Jonah chapter 2, he quotes so many psalms, so many psalms. Now, if a prophet knows the psalms so well and quotes so many psalms, he should surely know that in psalms as well, you can't hide from the Lord. You can't run from the Lord. But that, that's not what he does. He, he's doing the opposite thing. 
just thought that was silly. Now put yourself in Joel's shoes for a minute. So let's all think about us being held into the sea this moment, okay? So you've, you've been held into the sea. Now imagine, um, yeah, in that situation, what would you do? How are you going to react to it? Now, for some of us who can't swim, <laughs> we know that <laughs> it will be game over. I won't even try because I know I can't swim. So I'll just, I'll just calmly sort of sink and die. <laughs> but, um, well, let's continue reading. The situation gets worse. The currents swirled about me and all your waves and breakers swept over me. Now we can see that this man is getting into real big trouble here. Who can fight the currents and the waves of the sea? Wow, I look at these guys who do this serving or whatever it is, and you see the waves and you know the sea has got currents which can move big ships and all that. How can you fight it? You know, sometimes when these natural things happen, you're just so powerless. You're just there. You just release yourself for the, for, for the elements to treat you how they are because you can't just fight it. Now he's in there and these things are tossing him here, there, and everywhere. And um, I have never seen anyone drown before. I have never been in that situation as well. But I've seen documentaries and watched videos and things. And I am thinking to myself, even if Jonah was an Olympic swimmer, you know, he, he had five gold medals in swimming in, in the Olympics, he had no chance of these descriptions. They are, they, are, they are things when you imagine, you're like, how can you survive these things? He was lonely, he was helpless, and his life was in danger. But what do you think Jonah would do at this point? Who would, who would he tend to? Tend to God? Yes, of course, he's a prophet. He's a prophet of, um, um, of Israel. So you think Jonah, you know, of course, God helps. You know the Psalms. Tend to God, you know. Call on God. But no, Jonah doesn't do so at this point anyway. So um, he continues in verse 4. I have said, I have been banished from your sight. Now, Jonah is a prophet. A prophet is more like God's spokesperson. Now, banishing a prophet from God's side is like Donald Trump sacking the spokesperson of White House. You know, just get out. He had no hope. He had nowhere to turn to. That was his only profession, his life, and everything. That defined him. And God had banished him from his side. Wait a minute. Was that true? Did God banish Jonah from his side, or did Jonah run away from God. That's a bit puzzling. Now, I think the two are one and the same. One is more a consequence of the other. Okay? So jump out of the water with me now, and let's go to the Garden of Eden. Now, in the Garden of Eden, we, for, for some of us who know the story, so God made the earth, the world, and everything in it, and gave it to Adam and Eve to tend. But uh, they sinned against the Lord in disobedience, and God drove them out. So their disobedience led to them being driven out. So it's a consequence. He, Jonah was running away from the Lord, but as a consequence of that, he was actually being punished. So the two are one and the same. Jump again with me into the water. So being thrown into the sea with the waves and the currents, treating him the way they want and all that, what do you think Jonah would do next? He starts looking at the temple. Look at verse 4, the later part of verse 4. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Oh, come on, Jonah, please. You are in the water, and you're looking towards the temple. For me, it doesn't make sense. Maybe you could see it from afar, but if you look at verse 2, it says he was drowning. He was actually in, submerged. So how, 
Jonah, come on. How could you? It's like saying, I go to work and I'm in really big trouble because I've done something wrong and I start looking at, it, uh, at church. You know, it doesn't make sense to us. If you're in big trouble, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if your marriage is in trouble or your family is in trouble or you are in big trouble or something, you don't look to a church or you don't look to a building or you know, anything like that. That's to us. But to Jonah, the building had a different meaning. It had a different significance because the temple was actually where God dwelt. For them, that was the only source of hope. That was the only thing you could look to. That was where God was. So he looked towards it. That's what it says in the later part of verse 4. I wouldn't have done that, to be honest with you. And I think Jonah is being a bit cold here. Because why would you look to a temple where you know, well, you know God is there, but you look to it. Why don't you call on him from, from, from the onset? You're looking towards it. I, I don't know why he did that, but while he's actually thinking about all these things with all these situations, guess what happens? It gets worse. The engulfing, verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweeds wrapped around my head. Jonah was still in trouble. His life was threatened. He felt bound, imprisoned, and his vision was impaired. No hope, and it's getting worse. This sounds like claustrophobia to me. Everything is closing in on the prophet. Have you ever felt like, felt like that before when, where everything is actually closing on you? You turn this way and things are not working. You turn that way, things are not working. You know, it, it's just like you're powerless. But it gets worse. You know, sometimes when we say, oh, I have that, I, I feel I'm sinking. I have this sinking feeling. Well, Jonah didn't just have a sinking feeling. Actually, he was sinking. And he was sinking. Now, you look at verse 6. Oh no, sorry, before we get to verse 6, it says he sank to the seabed. That's, that, that's how bad things were to the lowest part of the earth. He was sinking and he was still going down. And continuing in verse 6, he says, But you, my God, brought my life up from the pit. Wait a minute. When and how did that happen? Last time I checked, Jonah, you were sinking. How did that happen? Again, as I said, he's reflecting. So this, this is the prayer where he's actually reflecting and thinking about what, what happened. Now, when did God bring Jonah out from the pit? Verse 7 tells us the answer. So look towards verse 7. It says, when his life was fainting away. Well, our, our version says, um, when... Let me see what the version says. When my life was ebbing away. Other version says, when my soul was fainting within me. Or when my life was slipping away. Bible scholars believe Jonah, at this point, he died briefly. His life just flashed before him. He could see, oh, the next breath could actually be my last. This, this is the end. That was when Jonah remembered the Lord. Jonah, come on. This is when you remember the Lord. When he was being thrown into the sea, he didn't remember the Lord. When the currents and waves were beating him, he didn't remember the Lord. When the seaweeds wrapped around his leg, his, his head, he didn't remember the Lord. When he was boastfully talking to the crew members about his God, he didn't remember the Lord. When he was looking towards the, towards the temple, he didn't remember the Lord. But when his life flashed before him, he remembered the Lord. It was only when he was at that point of death, and scholars believe he died, that he actually remembered the Lord. He remembered the one he was running from. 
He remembered the one he had offended. He remembered the one he had insulted. He remembered the only one who could save him. It took a storm, just a storm, for the unbelieving Christians, the crew members, to call on God desperately to save them. But for Jonah, no, that was not enough. That didn't get his attention. It took, he had to go to that point before turning to the Lord. Now, I want to ask ourselves today, is God trying to get our attention with events going on around us, do you think? I mean, personally, looking at your life now, do you think God is trying to get your attention in a way? I don't want anyone to fall into the guilt trap and think any time unfavorable events happen, it means, you know, you are being disobedient to God and God is drawing you. No, that's not what happens all the time. But in this passage today we are reading, Jonah was, disobe- was disobedient and that attracted these unfavorable events. So sometimes it's just good for us to reflect and to think about these things. Now, Jonah remembered the Lord and he prayed. He called on to the Lord. Jonah prayed. And that takes us to Jonah's prayer. Most things in nature cry out for help or call out to sources of help when they need it. I mean, I have a 14-month-old baby and... uh, you know, anytime they want something to go in, they will cry for help. Sometimes when they want things to come out, they will cry for help. They want to sleep, they, and they can't sleep, they will cry for help, you know. That's, that's nature. And we were all like that when we were kids or children. You know, we, we just cry, we cry for help, we cry for attention. But as we grow older and we think we are wiser, <laughs> we want to handle things ourselves sometimes, and we are too proud and pompous to actually cry for help. Jonah prayed. Let's look at his prayer. Now, you would expect Jonah to call on God right from the onset of events, wouldn't you? Being a prophet, fine, he was unforgiving, but at least you want him to. Being a prophet, it's, it's like a, a, a pastor or you know, a, a, a religious leader. You'd want him to, first thing, call on to God, because of course he knows better. But no, I think last week we were told why he didn't. I think the reason was because he was unforgiving. He was so engrossed with himself in chapter 1 when he was asked um, who he was. He grabbed the opportunity boldly to talk about, who, to talk about himself. That's to the crew members. He said, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord of the heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Throw me into the water and the storms will cease. Actually, I am the cause of your crisis. In this chapter alone, which is 10 verses, chapter 2, there are 13 eyes, 7 me's, and 9 minds. In just 10 verses. This reminds me of a parable Jesus gave in Luke 18, you know, where two people go to the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee, more like a religious person, and the other is an ordinary tax collector. And the Pharisee is praying, and he's like this. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tenth of all I get, and so on and so forth. And Jesus was actually giving that parable to rebuke and say we shouldn't be like that. Now, one would think, oh, come on, Jonah wasn't like, really like that. But I think that he was more engrossed in himself, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. It was all about him. He was running away from God because God did not want Nineveh, the oppressor of Israel, God wanted them to repent, but Jonah didn't want that. Now, just 
imagine. He wanted revenge, not repentance, on this nation. He wanted his enemies destroyed, not saved. Now, if someone broke into my house and, say, um, 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 harmed my family, and God told me to go to this offender and sort of tell them about the gospel so they become Christians, oh my goodness, that will be a challenge. In fact, immediately God says that, I will say, that is not the Holy Ghost, that's the devil ghost, I, I tell you. I, I, I wouldn't want to do that. Because they've harmed me, and I, 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 I will feel I have the right to be angry and to, to have that revenge, you know? I want to see them perish in hell for doing that to my family. Now, this is on a national scale, and his, his, his nation has been in ruins um, um, from these oppressors. And so he, he oh, I can, I can share his feeling, I can share his feeling. But I think that by doing so, we are saving ourselves, or I will be saving myself if I didn't want to obey God to go and speak to whoever harms my family to become a Christian or to receive salvation or to change and to be forgiven. Yes, I'll be bitter and I'll be unforgiving and I'll feel this way because I'm hurting, but by so doing again, I save myself. So it comes back to me, isn't it? It's, it's you. It's me. By disobeying God, we would be in disobedience and I, disobedience is a form of idolatry. It's idolatrous because you'll be placing something above God. Anytime we disobey God, we are, placing, we are putting something above him. And Jonah, at this point, his heart was his issue. He, 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 he wanted something done about the situation, and God wanted something else. So he took his, the matters into his hands, and he wanted it his way. He didn't want the nation changed. I think that was, that's the idol Jonah refers to in, chapter, in verse 8. Let's look at verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Jonah's idol was himself. He didn't want, he was unforgiving. And he wanted to satisfy that selfish desire of seeing his enemies perish in their sins. Now those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Jonah's action turned him from the Lord. And there's a big lesson for us here, isn't there? Whenever we turn away from God to satisfy our desires, we forsake his love. Every time we're turning away from the Lord, you might think, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm, I'm always on point. Oh, come on, that's a lie. We all turn away sometimes and do things our own way. But then he's saying, whenever we turn away from the Lord, place other things above him and do things our way, we are turning away from his love for us. No matter who you are, saint or sinner, if you go about backbiting, disrespecting leaders and elders, living prayerless lives and not forgiving offenses, living an envious life, being discontented in life, always being anxious, which God has said we should not do, always worrying, he said do not do them, we are disobeying. And if we are disobeying, we are turning away from his love. That's all he's saying. We turn away from his love whenever we disobey him. Anytime we don't put our trust in him, and we obey him, we turn from, away from his love for us. Now jump again into the water with me. Now after making all the wrong decisions and leading himself to the brink of death, Jonah does one thing right, eventually. He remembered the Lord and he prayed. Verse two, in my distress, 
I called to the Lord. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. Once you have life, or once we have life, we have breath. Once we have breath, we can always pray. We can call to the Lord. We can call to the Lord. No matter what one is going through, we can always call to the Lord. Whether the situation we face is trivial or critical, we can call unto the Lord in prayer. When we call to the Lord in prayer, we can do that anytime, anywhere, and in any situation. Jonah's situation was worse. I don't think we would, be, we would ever be in that situation. But he called to the Lord. It doesn't matter the situation we are in. We can call to the Lord in weakness and in strength, in tears and in laughter. We can always pray. We lose nothing when we actually do pray. We actually gain. The Bible tells us to pray without season. Dear friends, let us pray. Let us call to him. Sometimes we think, oh, well, I'll handle this. I'm a, I'm a man. Call to the Lord. Call to him. No matter how dire the situation is or hopeless it is, no matter how hopeless it is, let us call to the Lord. Because sometimes he's just waiting for us to call to him. Now, it's important um, to know that Jonah did not just pray. I mean, I think the most important thing Jonah did while praying was to repent. So, that, so the prayer was not the only thing. But then you see that he starts saying things about what he's going to do after that. You can see he, he repents. He makes a turn towards God. And he wants to recommit himself, rededicate himself to the Lord again. So calling on to God in repentance is very good. But if you call without a change of heart, you've not gone anywhere. You've not done anything yet. It's like looking towards the temple. But then when he calls to the Lord, he does two important things. He says two important things he's going to do. One, he says he's going to sing praises to the Lord. So he's not just going to talk about the Lord. He's going to sing praises to the Lord. And he's going to vow to, sacri to sacrifice himself and to fulfill his vows. Now, that is some serious commitment here. Singing praises to the Lord helps us focus on God's greatness, his might, his power, his love. And when we proclaim, when we praise him, we proclaim, to be, we proclaim him to be the only one who deserves our worship and our honor. You know, we put him at, at the rightful place he deserves in our lives. He's not only doing that, he's going to fulfill his vows to the Lord. And that's a lifelong commitment. Now, to become a Christian is to commit one's life to the Lord and to say that throughout your life you're going to trust and obey the Lord. Okay? That's how we sacrifice our lives to the Lord and that's how we actually sort of um, um, fulfill our vow because our vow is to live for him. Now, Jesus says in John so many times that if you love me, obey my words. Those who are his disciples are those who abide in his word. So it's more about trusting and obeying, trusting and obeying, trusting and obeying. Jonah says that's what he'll do. What does that mean for us? For us to actually commit to the Lord and to fulfill our vows and do all that. Trust and just obey. That's all God really wants from us. To trust him to be the only Lord and Savior and Master and, 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 and our refuge and our fortress and our strength. And just to obey. Just do what he says. So Jonah decides to do this, and I think we need to do that as well in repentance, in addition to the prayer. Now, who would re resist such a passionate and, and genuine plea for help? If someone comes to you in this situation, well, I know I've done 
this wrong and that wrong against you, and I'm, and I'm so sorry. I'm not just telling you this, but I'm going to change my ways, and I'm going to live for you, and I'm going to please you. Would you, re- would you refuse such a person? No, you wouldn't. And not, 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 not the God we serve. He didn't. God answered Jonah's call through a miraculous provision. So finally, let's look at God's provision. In the early days of 1940, for those of us who are young to be alive then, um, the Second World War had begun, and Hitler unleashed a military onslaught on France, France, Belgium, and a few other countries, and and Britain was actually in support, so went to support some of its allies. Uh, Within a few days, the British Army and the uh, and its allies were caught unaware there. Germans were smarter and, you know, they found a way of actually encycling them and cornering them. So the British Army and its allies were unprepared, outmaneuvered, and actually they had no strategy. The troop was stranded at the beach of Dunkirk and, you know, it was a, a, a very tense moment for the soldiers. The German army was closing in very fast by land and by air. Hundreds of thousands of British soldiers were now stranded with no hope of escape. The situation was so dire and no one had any hope. It was estimated that even if the soldiers managed to cross the channel, only a few thousand would be saved out of the 300 plus thousand soldiers who were held on the other side of the channel. The Germans was on the verge of conquering Europe. The spirit of the soldiers at the shores of Dunkirk and at home was was at an all-time low. It was was, uh, sort of a hopeless situation and it seemed the massacre was inevitable. It it would happen, you know. That's how it seemed. Now, towards the end of the month, that that same month, um, in desperation, King George VI and the then Prime Minister Winston Churchill called for a national day of prayer. So people came together and sort of started praying and calling on God. Um, Just around that time, um, I believe God started hearing the prayer of the nation. So two major things happened that changed the course of history. First of all, Hitler ordered his troops to stop the attack. His students don't even understand why that happened in the first place. Up till now, they, 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 they just can't understand. Why did Hitler, someone who wanted to conquer so much, why would he stop the army when they were at the verge of victory? Why? No one can understand that till now. People have their theories, but no one can still understand that fully. The second thing was the clouds were a bit lower during that season as well. So the Luftwaffe switch were, the, the, the German planes which were supposed to be bombing people at the shore and all that to cause heavy defeats and, 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 and massacre. The, the, the planes could not, I mean, the vision of the pilots were impaired, so they couldn't see properly and they couldn't, they couldn't cause the damage they wanted to cause. So um, the, Government came up with an idea, you know what, let's get people's luxury yachts and, and ships and boats and things across and ferry these soldiers. So they did so, and in so doing, over 800 sort of small boats and ferries and all that carried over 300 soldiers across the channel and they were saved. Now, that was called the miracle of Dunkirk, which I'm sure most of us would have heard. 
Now, some people think this miraculous evacuation was a coincidence. You know, it, 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 just, it just so happened. It just so happened that Hitler changed his mind. It just so happened that the clouds were lowered. It, 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 it just events that happened. But not for the people of the day. They knew it was a miracle. They knew it was God answering their prayer. They knew, wow, this is God working here. That's how they felt that time. God answered the nation's prayer and provided a safe passage for the soldiers. God provides in miraculous ways. That's what he does all the time. His provision is sometimes very simple. We overlook it. Jonah needed a way of escape from death. And we see verse 17, God provided a whale. The whale was not to make his life worse. Actually, that was his, his boat out of the situation. So God provided a way of escape for him. Now, I'm sure the fish was really pleased at the end when God asked, commanded the fish to spit the pompous prophet out of his mouth. But Jonah was delivered. God answered his prayer. God does answer. God had mercy on Jonah just as he had mercy on the crew members on the boat in chapter 1. He saved them from death when they called out to him. One might say, oh, Adam, come on. God's provision of a, of a fish to swallow Jonah is a, it's, it's a myth, isn't it? I mean, it is not impossible, but it is improbable. I can understand that. You can use all the big words and all that. But I'll give you three reasons why I think it is possible. Because one, the Bible tells, well, it's not written in a passage. If it was a vision or a myth or anything, the Bible would have said, oh, and Jonah had a vision of Nineveh being destroyed and God, you know, asked the fish to swallow him when he went wayward and all that. But it's not said. So actually, it did happen. That's what I believe. The second reason is, if you look at the Bible, there's nothing impossible for the Lord. Jesus even says in Matthew 19, 26, there is nothing impossible with the Lord. Nothing impossible. So actually, I think it did happen. Now, if God could cause the universe to be created with his words, if he could part the Red Seas, if God could cause manna to fall from heaven, to make a man walk on water, to, make the, to calm the raging seas, to cause the sun to stand still, if God could shut the mouth of lions, could speak through a donkey, if he could make the blind see, the lame walk, and the dumb hear, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, what can't he do? I think he did it. And he saved him. So if God can do all these things, what is that situation you're thinking he can't solve or he can't attend to or he can't help with? There is nothing impossible for the Lord. He is more than able. Of course, the arm of flesh will fail. It will always fail us. We can depend on our experience. We can depend on our bank accounts. We can depend on that man at the high position. We can depend on anything else in life. We can even depend on ourselves. But we can trust in him and we can pray. And he provides. He, he always makes a way of escape. In his own way. In his own way. In his own time. In his own will. He's wise. But he does. In his own way. Well, that's if he wills anyway. Which most of the time he wills. And in most situations, when it comes to salvation, he does. All the time, he's told us. So God delivers, God saves. God is compassionate. He hears our prayer. We sang about it earlier. God is compassionate. He hears our prayer. 
no matter the state of faith you are in life, when you call on God, he will hear, he will provide, he will save. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. Everyone. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me and I will answer you. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. If they will call and turn, he will. He always does. He asks when we call. Call unto me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you and, I will, and you will honor me. And as we read earlier, while Rupa was leading as well, he says we should call unto him and he will hear us. So God has given us these promises over and again. Call unto me and I will hear and I will answer and I will save. You may ask, why should I call on this God and not other, not another God and not anyone else? Well, look with me to verse 9. Salvation comes from the Lord. In fact, some other, um, um, in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 we read, it says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under the heavens given to mankind by which we must be saved. So when it comes to saving, he's the only one we can call on. For Jonah, it was easy to see that he had no other source of hope, so he had to call to the Lord. And that's what we would think. But I think it's the same for us. It's the same truth for us as well. When it comes to salvation of the soul, there is no religion, there is no creed, there is no doctrine, there is nothing that can save a soul. Nothing can save a soul. But the provision of salvation as God did through Jesus Christ. That's the only way of escape and that's the only way we can have God's salvation. God provided his only son, Jesus, as the only way of escape because God loves us so much. Now, he sent his only begotten son, that's Jesus, to go through worse situations than Jonah did. Foul situations. He was beaten, he was mocked at, he was packed upon, spat upon, and he was crucified. A gruesome ordeal. Jonah ran from the Lord because he did not obey God's command, but Jesus happily embraced God's command, obeyed God, even when it was going to cost his life. He chose to do that. Jesus was forsaken on the cross and eventually died. He wasn't forsaken like Jonah just because he had disobeyed. He was forsaken because he was bearing your shame and your disgrace and mine. Jesus went through a worse experience and God spared Jonah's death, but Jesus actually had to die. Why did Jesus die? Because he had to die for our sins so that we won't go through that. We won't have to die. We don't have to die. Matthew twelve forty tells us, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's what he did for us. Because the wages of sin is death, and we are punishable. Our, our, our actions are punishable. That's just it. But because of God's love for us, he's taken that place. He has, we don't have to go through that. He's the only person who died 
who rose and who lives forever. He lives now, the only one. Jesus took our place. We don't have to face the penalties of our sins. And I'll say that again and again. We have been forgiven. And like Jonah, we can have a new life. We can be launched into our destiny. We can be launched to live the life God wants us to live. Because this fish eventually spat him out. And he went to fulfill God's purpose, as we'll see in the coming weeks. That's what God does for us through Jesus. He saves us from the penalty of our sins so we can live the life he wants us to live. Now, how do we become beneficiaries of this, of God's provision? I think we have a lot to learn from Jonah. Okay. We have so much to learn from Jonah. First of all, we have to acknowledge that we have idols in our lives as well. For everyone, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And then secondly, we have to acknowledge that salvation only comes from, from the Lord. And he provided that salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, there will be no salvation. He is that whale who will take you out of the water and take you to your promised land. Thirdly, we have to turn to the Lord in prayer and repentance. We have to call out to God for help because we cannot help ourselves. And that's what Jonah did as well. He turned to the Lord and said, you know what? I'm coming back to you. And finally, we have to vow to live a life of dependence on the Lord. A life that's in obedience to the Lord and to fulfill our vows, to live for him, to obey him and to trust him. Now, you may be here and you're a non-Christian and you know that deep within your heart, you will have to bear the penalties of your sins at some, at some point because we will all be judged. That's what the Bible says. I'm not saying it. God offers a way here. He says, you know what? You don't have to go through that. I've done it. All you have to do is turn to me. So you're here and you're thinking, well, I would want to turn to the Lord or I would want to make that commitment. I'm going to make time so you can pray to God this moment, just like Jonah did. Call to the Lord. Or you might be here and you're a Christian and you're thinking, oh, thank God, this, this does not talk, talk, talk about me. That's a lie. Jonah was a prophet. He wasn't just a normal Christian. He was a prophet, a level higher. But he fell into sin, and sometimes you do. So if you're here and you think, oh, well, I'm looking at my life, and I think I have gone overboard because maybe that lady at work, I shouldn't, I know we are friends, but I think I've gone above friendship. I have, I have overstepped the boundary. Then you're in the boat as well. If you're here and you're thinking, well, uh, I, I'm still harboring unforgiveness. I don't want to forgive this person because they hurt me really hard. Yeah, they, they've hurt me and you don't want to forgive them. And you're a Christian, you're also in the boot as well. Now, I don't know what your situation might be, but if, if, if you just realize you're not right with the Lord, then dear friends, you're in the boot as well. You need saving. Oh, well, not the boot, you're, you're sinking, you need saving. <laughs> so we're going to pray because we're going to have the Lord's Supper within the next few minutes and uh, I would want us to pray before we go for the Lord's Supper now Jonah's salvation occurred when he remembered the Lord and repented he remembered the Lord and repented what, does, what did Jesus tell us about remembering him he said we should do this communion in remembrance of him remembrance of him so we can always live as he wants us to live. 
So Jesus asked us to remember him, and that's what we're going to do. Now, the night he was betrayed, he sat with his disciples, ate a meal, and commanded them to remember. So we'll have the communion. The band will come and play, and we'll sing, and then we'll do that. But before we do that again, like I say, I want us to pray now. I don't want anyone living here with that heavy burden on your shoulders. I want you to release it to the Lord before we live. So within a minute or two, would you please join me in closing your eyes? If you want to, if you don't want to, that's fine. Whichever way you pray is, 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 is fine. And you think you want to respond to this talk in any way. I, I, I want you to pray. I want you to call on the Lord. Call on to him because that situation is not beyond him. It could, be your, it could be your disbelief. It could be your unforgiveness. It could be the situation of your heart, the idol of your heart that is making you forsake God's love for you. So let's just pray this minute, Lord, and call on to him.